I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The winner to organize the 222 FIFA World Cup is... Qatar! The Qatar World Cup is finally here. But just what kind of place is hosting the biggest sporting event on the planet? I'm Kate Mason, and in September, I went to Doha to see things for myself. It was the weirdest day of my life. said Qatar is doing everything it can. How do you quantify that? That's the sort of thing you can just say. So basically they wanted to charge me under the espionage act. I've spoken to female footballers in the country, the first Qatari man to come out as gay, residents in Doha whose future is uncertain, and the workers who helped build this World Cup, all to find out how it's changed people's lives there. There's like so many like opportunities and stadiums for women to use, but like it's just that they don't want to because they can't. And the big question is what's going to happen after the World Cup? What's going to happen when that spotlight moves on? Physical health, everybody knows, but nobody knows the mental health. This is Inside the Qatar World Cup, the Football Ramble's brand new three-part series. You can listen to all three episodes right now. Just search Football Ramble in your favourite podcast app. Welcome to On the Continent at the World Cup. I'm Dotson Adebayo, I'm Andy Brassel, and I'm Nicky Bandini. I'm all three of them for now, so let me do it again from the top. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to On the Continent at the World Cup. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nicky Bandini. On this World Cup history, repeating itself edition... Can the team formerly known as Manshaft get out of the group stage in Qatar with or without a FIFA gag? Talking of the Germans, can seven-scoring Spain do better than anything the Japanese can do to Germany, or will the real Germans stand up to them? And how he took a sad song and made it a French national goal-scoring record. We're singing his praises. Na, 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 Giroud. Giroud. 
with apologies for my singing. Before we begin and get really into those uh, topics that we're discussing today, there is a question from Josh after last night's late kickoff. Please recap Canada's domination of Belgium. Nikki, are you ready to get your teeth into this one? <laughs> it was it was a really interesting game. I think we've had some some upsets in the last few days that we're going to get onto at least one of them and and they've been all along I guess the same sort of line where you have the the traditional juggernaut that's dominant and and just doesn't manage to score the goals it needs to this was nothing like that Belgium did win so it wasn't an upset in the end but in terms of the football they, they were outplayed I felt like for for really the vast majority of the 90 minutes and you've got Kevin De Bruyne at the end receiving the man of the match award and going I literally don't know why I'm being given this. Like I don't know. I, this this doesn't. This shouldn't be for me. Um, yeah, it was it was a really fascinating game of football. Um, obviously, it's it's sort of. A th- I think it's always a thrill when there's a country that hasn't been in a World Cup for a while and you get them back there, just hearing them sing the national anthem at the beginning. Obviously, mm. that sort of O Canada moment, and then they came out and played the way they did. I, I thought it was a really really impressive performance, and just I suppose a little bit heartbreaking for them to put in such a strong performance against a team that is considered a contender and still come away with nothing for it. Andy, I suppose uh, this is summed up by what uh, Nicky was saying there, that Kevin De Bruyne didn't want the Man of the Match award because he knew he didn't deserve it. Somebody maybe on the Canadian team deserved it more. Yeah, I, I mean, the way these Man of the Match awards work at World Cups, Kevin De Bruyne is very perceptive, not only on the field, but off it. And uh, I think the second part of that, he said, I think they said that because they want to interview me afterwards. <laughs> That's exactly what has <laughs> happened there. Because basically, if you're man of the match, uh, you go into the flash interview directly after the, the, the game. And that's that's the only reason anyone um, got to speak to Cristiano Ronaldo in the 2018 World Cup when he was trying to get keep a lid on the fact that he was, he was going to Juventus. So well worked out by KDB there. Um, yeah, I, I think this group is really interesting now as well because um, you look at Belgium's myriad issues. I, I think a lack of athleticism is a is a clear one. Um, and I, I think you look at Croatia's midfield, which you know is arguably one of the best midfields in the tournament. Although Spain might have put an end to that discussion yesterday, as we'll, we'll come to in a little bit. And I thought Morocco looked. Looked decent in the in the in the first game as well. It's it's all open. Also, Steven Eustachio of Porto, who I had a feeling would be good during this tournament because he's in, in incredible form domestically. I thought he was the best player on the pitch, and he should have got it if we were given it on merit rather than uh, who the cameras like the look of. Andy, you were in the stadium when Japan beat Germany. How did they pull that off? Well, I think with patience and excellent organization uh for for a start i thought um germany were actually okay in the first half and um i spoke to ilko gundoyan afterwards and he said i thought we played okay and i think you can have sympathy for that but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to germany's issues in a minute i thought um the coaching was good the, the way they reorganized at half time and went to five at the back was was good they pressed a little bit harder um, that they made it tougher on Germany as the as, as the game went on, and they, they, they took a few little risks as well. I, I think I think we saw that, and we've seen how that's paid off in in other games in the World Cup so far, um, notably in the Argentina Saudi Arabia one. But I think what is the most delicious element of all this is the fact that there's this strong Bundesliga influence to. To, to, to the Japanese team. You know, you know, you look at five of the starters currently playing the Bundesliga. Both the goal scorers, uh, Doan and Asano, uh, are currently in the Bundesliga as, as well. You know, if it was going to happen to Germany, it was always going to happen in this way, I think. I, I think there's something really fascinating um, in that. I don't, I don't know if you're expecting... Um... Andy, so any sort of response from if there's any uh, Bundesliga owners that are combustible enough to respond as Perugia's um, Gauchi did famously to Arn to Arn scoring against uh, Italy, South Korea <laughs> and knocking them out, and uh, and you know it, it, it crossed my mind that even um, of course 
Italy's elimination from this World Cup, um, the goal scorer for North Macedonia was a former Palermo player, Trascovsky. Trascovsky. And sorry, I'm butchering everyone's names today. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was a former Palermo uh, player scoring at Palermo's home stadium, in fact. Uh, so I wonder if there's even something a little bit beyond just the sort of random fact that there is something in familiarity and, uh, and and the power in that. But certainly it was Arne I was thinking about as uh, as uh, Bundesliga players knocked, well, it didn't knock Germany out yet, but put them in a tough spot to start this tournament. Indeed. And that is the question that uh, Joe wanted to ask on Instagram, by the way. How strong is this Japanese presence in the Bundesliga and why? Let's concentrate on the why. How come there are so many Japanese? And we're talking about the top, top Japanese. Why are they going to the Bundesliga rather than anywhere else? Success breeds success, Dotton, quite simply. Uh, I think you look at particularly uh, Makoto Hasabe and Shinji Kagawa, for example, in, in in the last 15 years, players who've made a huge impact and didn't cost a lot of money. You know, if we're talking about um, Bundesliga resource, there's always been a limit because of the limits of club ownership and because of the limits of the TV deal, which is something... That if we go back 20 years, Bayern were always like wriggling to sort of find a way to expand commercially, um, as, as well as producing your own players, which they've done exceptionally well since um, the, the the reformation of the academy system uh, 20 years, 20 odd years ago. Um, getting players who are moldable in that way and cheap. Bear in mind, Kagawa costs 300,000 euros for, for for Dortmund. Is something that as has worked again and again and again. And um, I think Doan's an interesting example, the score of the, the the first goal. I mean, he was on the pitch about five minutes before he before he got that goal, wasn't he? And, um, you know, he had a spell at Armenia Bielefeld before in which he was really, really influential. Um, went back to PSV, where he was on loan from, and now has ended up at, at Freiburg. And he is the, the ultimate Freiburg player. You know, they're, they're hardworking, enterprising, play really tidy football, and he ticks all of those boxes. And to get himself in that spot to, to, to finish off that goal was, was kind of typical of him. But I wanted to ask Nicky, actually, about that. You know, Asano has had a difficult season, like, like Bochum have had a difficult season until the last couple of weeks because um, he's, he's been injured, most of it. But do you reckon he learnt that touch off Dennis Bergkamp when he was at Arsenal? <laughs> I, I, I knew you were going to team me up, Andy, for my Arsene Wenger, <laughs> Arsene knows segment. I mean, I think it's almost like a, a it's almost like a gag, isn't it? Like a cliche now about Wenger that Wenger tried to sign so and so and 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 did sign so and so. But yes, of course, Asano was um, a, a, an Arsenal signing who then Arsenal couldn't keep because it turned out they didn't they weren't able to get the work permit for him back in 2016, I think. Um, so Wenger did know, and uh, perhaps that's a theme that we'll come back to later in this show as well. Wenger knew, but Germany clearly didn't. What went wrong from their perspective, though? Because it was a game of two halves, and the first half, I know that's a cliche, but it's the first one we've had on the, uh, this podcast, but the first half, it looked like the Germany that you expect, that they were going to be very efficient and hold on to a 1-0 lead. Second half... Where were they? I think it's a really interesting question, Dotton. It's a really interesting way of framing it as well because what we expect from Germany at a tournament is not what this Germany team under Hansi Flick or previously under latter-day Joachim Love can, can really provide. And if we were looking for a return to that traditional Germany, Flick was never going to be the coach to provide it. He's a risk-taking coach. He hasn't got as good players as he has at Bayern. I think obviously he has some of them. Um, and there is there is a, a lot of talent there. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I think Germany are really performing to modern type in that I think if, if you were defending Germany, as Gundogan did to a certain extent, you would say, well, they had the chances to win the game. You look at how many saves um, the, the Japanese goalkeeper had to make. I, I think there's some merit in that even though the tide of the game really changed in the, in, in the second half but this is Germany all over you go back to the two Nations League games with England they lead and dominate in both of them and they manage to 
make a right royal mess of it defensively. They, did, they should have won in, in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, where they always win recently, going back to that, and they, 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 they threw a lead as, as well. And they're defending on both of those goals. I mean, with the Doan goal, they had a little warning with that, didn't they? Because there was an almost identical move before that where um, I can't remember the, the, the player who was coming in, um, like stuck the, the rebound over the top. And then that, that they, they didn't heed that warning at all because Doan scored from a, a similar situation like a couple of minutes later. And then just the total disorganisation. I mean, Nico Schlotterbeck has had the heat for the ball going over his head and Asano getting there. But really, Schlotterbeck shouldn't be there. If the left-back is in the right spot, David Raum, then Schlotterbeck's not all the way over there. They haven't really got a right-back that's, that's fit for purpose. So, I mean, having been there and part of what was a really terrific occasion and the Japanese supporters were, were fantastic... In one sense, the Japanese supporters pushed them over the line and they didn't stop at the entire game. But if Germany are anywhere near organised, they win that game. It's an interesting point about Raum, Andy, because it, it felt like the, the formation, as you see in lots of teams, I think at the moment, it's very much the, the trend in football, isn't it? It's, it's a back four, but it often doesn't look like a back four. And, and Raum really was was playing like a winger a lot of the game. And, and in the yeah. first half, that was sort of tremendously effective for, for, for Germany. And this was kind of the great success for Moriyasu, that the Japan coach was that he took off a winger and brought on an extra centre-back in the second half and shored up that side of the defence and, and stopped round from running riot. And then in the end, Japan, as you said, were able to, to exploit down that side. Um, I do think, I should have said this when we were talking about Japan before, not Germany, but I mean, this is my favourite goal of the tournament so far. I thought mm. Asano takes it so well. The angle is, is ridiculous, even though I'm sure um, Noya doesn't want to get beaten there. But but yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting the way you, you framed it, the way both of you framed it, actually, because Dutton talking about a Germany that you expect, and I thought to myself, as soon as you said that, I thought, what Germany do I expect? Because I think in my head, there's a sort of old image of, of Germany, which for some reason for me is sort of almost, I think, embodied in the figure of Bastian Schweinsteiger, who's sort of more sort of combative and solid and 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 I sort of just believe will come out on top at the end of something. And and I think Andy's exactly right that this this is not and hasn't been for a while that Germany. And I think it's okay. Like you don't have to sort of always have the same footballing identity over time and and I think Flick very possibly is is approaching things in the right way for the talent that he has but I actually just thought about that maybe it's too intangible but that idea of 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 auras and what's been lost and I and it feels like the sort of steady de degradation of that invincible aura that that Germany had that's been going on for ages it's been ages since I've looked at Germany and thought in a major tournament they're going to be untouchable I, I, I did see that this was I think the first time at a World Cup since something like 1978, they've gone ahead and then been ahead at half time and then lost. So it is certainly like true that they historically haven't thrown away leads. But I, I don't think of, personally, I don't think of Germany as being that team anymore, that unstoppable juggernaut. Yeah. And, I, and I do wonder how those sort of subtle, I don't know, impressions over time just allow opponents to, to to approach things on the pitch in a different way to have a little bit more belief in themselves that actually you can turn this game over they do have the players though they still have the players this is what shocks me almost that you know their players are some of the best players in the world in their team when you look at uh, their squad and yet they don't seem to m be able to make it all gel together and work and I suppose that's what's most surprising when, when I was talking about German efficiency it's the old cliche of der technische sprung whatever the advert was um, and <laughs> like Nikki says Vorsprung dort technique thank you um, I never owned one so how would I remember that um, but like <laughs> Nikki says Andy <laughs> like Nikki says you know that the moment she said Sebastian Schweinsteiger, I totally got it. Yeah, it's not it's not that team. Not because of the players' quality, but because of, I don't know, arguably, do we have to look at the coach? Do we have to look at the tactics? What do we have to you look at? You know what? 
though, Dotton, you can say it's not about the players, but it partly is about the players because Germany mm. produces a different type of player nowadays. Now, I think of like Jamal Musiala, who was really great, by the way, I thought, and hopefully there's a lot more to come from him in, in, in the World Cup. They really need something from him um, in, in the Spain game, with the second well, game you know. as we'll come to. <laughs> well, that, that, that's it. I, I mean, we're talking about... We're talking about the, the, the sort of players that Germany produce or the sort of players that England produce for Germany, <laughs> depending on which way you, you look at it. But, um, you know, I think the, the characteristics of modern German players are, are, are so different. You, you know, um, maybe a bit more flair and a, a little less rigorous, um, if, if, if I could be so broad in my brushstrokes. But, you know, I think in another way, that feeds into something that, like, really appealing about modern German footballers and a lot of modern footballers generally. I mean, the way that um, Germany have reacted to the armband thing, which is obviously, um, which which is obviously like like taken a lot of column inches and rightly so in the last little while. I found that that was such a powerful image before the game when you saw the players with uh, doing the team photo with their hands over their mouths, and okay. It's something that the German FA believe, the DFB believe as well. But it's, it's player-led as well, which I, I think is really super important to acknowledge. You know, there are a lot of players in that team, and I'm thinking particularly of um, Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, um, who, you know, really were quite entrepreneurial in their charity and social engagement efforts during the pandemic, for example. In, in, in those two cases, they raised millions. Um you know, these are these are not players who will stay silent, and that, that's despite the, the the way that the way that FIFA have have approached this, which is you know been a disgrace. I mean, you had, you had Denmark threatening to to leave FIFA yesterday, of course, but I think the fact that you know this sort of battle between the nations and FIFA is is, is so interesting because obviously everyone saw that photo, that team photo of the German well, players with their hands they? over their mouths on, on social oh, media. Well, right. they, they saw it on social media. They, they didn't see it on telly because FIFA controls the feed, obviously. So FIFA was trying to not let us see that. But obviously it's far harder to cover stuff up in the social media age. I would love one footballer in this tournament because I believe that there is a lot of empathy and solidarity. I do. And of course, Leon Goretzka, I think about the heart gesture he made to the hungry fans who were sort of yeah. being yeah. furiously intolerant. Um, and, and, and actually what a powerful gesture that was at the time. I think there is solidarity. I think there has been a lack of courage from some. Um, but I would love to, to see one footballer just dye their hair in the rainbow colours. Because you could do that. And then what's FIFA going to do about it? And it's not like footballers don't dye their hair different colours and, and make gestures like that just for their own reasons all the time. I'd love to mm. see someone. This was this was something and and it was appreciated because it was more than other people have done. But I, I still feel like there is a disconnect between sort of the rhetoric and the willingness to actually put yourself put yourself out there um in the way that perhaps the Iran players did when they made their protest against England. Lovely touch that from Asano, and Asano has managed to sneak in! What a wonderfully well-taken goal! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills, or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Well, we're lucky to have Andy Brassel be our eyes and ears at the World Cup tournament in Qatar itself. And Andy, I imagine the last couple of days you've been surrounded by Spanish football fans singing Guantanamera, Guantanamera, but not the way we sing it because they'll be thinking campeones, campeones, and seven as Dela Sol would say to them, is the magic number, is it not? Well, three was at half time, wasn't it? And you, you kind of thought that Very would be enough good. for them. I mean, you are so in, slick, in terms Mr. of Russell. In ta- thank you. In, in terms of tournament authenticity, like part of the tournament experience when you're there is that you miss quite a lot of football because while, while you're at games. So um, I arrived back at half time. I ended up watching the. The, the first half like later on and so I had my nose pressed to the window of a, a shisha house watching like the three goals that I scored in the first half while I was on my way back to my hotel from the from the Germany game um but th- th- of, of course Costa Rica there's been a lot made and I, I spoke to a, a couple of the the, the, the talk commentators um, I spoke to Nigel Adderley about it earlier and he was he was saying how there was this feeling that Costa Rica were doing such a rigorous warm-up I think him and Stuart Pierce were saying do you maybe want to save a bit for the game it's quite hot <laughs> out there and um, you know w- when the game started um you know, it, it was Spain. I think the, the, such an interesting thing is they had just over a third of the shots that Canada had in their game against um, in their game against Belgium, and yet they ended up with seven goals. Now we don't really think of Spain of, as being clinical, do we? But when Spain function well under Luis Enrique, it's not passing for passing's sake. It's actually very economical, direct in its own way. And I think despite the fact they didn't take the field with a proper centre-forward, inverted commas, because, of course, Asensio played there and Morata was on the bench and came on and got his goal for, for number seven, showing their strength in depth, this felt like a very Luis Enrique Spain performance to me. When we saw at the end of 90 minutes, the ref or the fourth official put up the sign for about nine minutes more <laughs> agony for Costa Rica, you were thinking, for the love of God, no, no. No, and yet um, we knew that Alvaro Morata had to get a goal. We knew that because Spain, um, well, first half certainly didn't play with your traditional centre-forward, brought a centre-forward in the second half. And for that 7-0 to make sense, that centre-forward had to show the difference between having a traditional centre-forward and not having a traditional centre-forward. And he got it in the end, didn't he? He did, he did. I mean, I, I don't know, Dutton, I suppose, because the player who was notionally the start, started at centre-forward, Asensio, I think he scored once in his previous 31 international caps, uh, and he scored two, so every, everyone got in on the goals in this one. I think I was more um, sort of captured in, in my viewing by Gavi and Pedri again, just because they're, they're teenagers, and it's ridiculous mm, that you can mm. sort of be a teenager and, and step onto the pitch and, and control score. it with that amount of authority. 
and and in Gavi's case, score as well. Yeah. And I mean, uh, young, youngest youngest Spanish goal scorer at the World Cup, of of, of course. But I, I, yeah. I don't know how you how you feel about this, Nicky. But as you say, it feels very nominal. Pedri and Gavi being teenagers because they've just got this incredible wisdom. I mean. I don't, I don't want to go back to club football, but it's something that me and David Cartledge have touched on before. If Barcelona had behaved like a normal club, you know, they had all the pieces in midfield. They just would have not risked their entire financial future and do what they always do and build around youth products slash young players because goodness knows how far those two could take them. Yeah, and, and I think... Um without sort of making it about the club football, the club football part of it is really important. And I, I feel like this is the most boring drum that I end up beating every single time there's a major international tournament. But I think it really does matter that the players you've got in your squad want to spend time together and enjoy spending time together. And clearly Pedri mm. and Gavi have got a dynamic off the pitch as well. You see it. Um, oh, there was a, a red carpet ceremony not long ago and you saw the little understanding they have with each other, the way they look to each other in like a, a sort of like supportive way and like, just looking out for each other as kids in this sort of grown-up world, I think, like sort of having having your mate there is really valuable. And I also think for a team like Spain going into a tournament, you know, not that it isn't also hugely valuable to have experience and to have players who've been there and done it before, but I think there's something really uplifting for any national team when you've got a couple of teenagers who are genuinely brilliant in your squad who just approach it like kids who want to go and play football and have that, sheer sort of like childlike joy about it um which can get lost sometimes and i think there was a real contrast in this game because actually the costa rica lineup i think i saw that was six out of the 11 um that that started in this game were 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 also in the starting lineup when they first qualified like and um they opened their tournament in brazil back in 2014 so of course there's also something in the fact that spain play incredibly advanced nuanced tactical football that you've got not just a false nine in Marco Asensio but like a false centre-back in Rodri who's distributing and and playing in a position that you wouldn't normally think is his position and, and does that so effectively you've got two expert wingers um Danny Olmo sort of doing that really effective job of, of cutting in from the left hand flank for Antares who I thought was phenomenal I mean this team is really really good and I I do think in all the pre-tournament chat not that people were completely overlooking them, but I think people might have underestimated quite how good they have been. I mean, the fact is that this team, I will say as an Italian, was the best team at the Euros. Italy beat them in a one-off game and it was probably the most sort of interesting game of the tournament. But but Spain were the best team at the Euros and they then went and won the Nations League right afterwards and sort of proved the point by dominating Italy in that as well. This is probably, has been in the last few years, Europe's best team. They've got these teenagers who are young and healthy and enthusiastic. I think this was not a sort of out of nowhere result. I think this team is very much one of the front runners to win the whole thing. Question from Liam in inst- on Instagram is about Rodri. And he's asking, will Rodri stay centre-back for Spain? Or is that just a weapon for games when Spain will control the ball? Andy? I, th- I think you could argue that their plan will be to control the ball in more games than they don't, certainly. Um, you know, I think even when we go back to that Euro, Euro semi-final that, that Nicky was talking about, you know, they were even if they didn't win, they were they, they were dominant. So um, I, I could see that as, as something that they stick with. Also, I think one of Spain's biggest problems is they've got a terrific centre-back in Pau Torres and a Terrific goalkeeper in Unai Simon, both who've got a ricket in them. So, you know, you're not talking about breaking up an impermeable defence. In terms of leaders in the team, though, going back to that, I think I, th- I think the leadership is, is all with Luis Enrique. He's cut like a very... like I mean, he's always very frank, but I think he's cut quite... A, and he's got the courage of his convictions. I mean, we saw that all the way going back to when he was a coach of Roma, Nicky. You know, he was... Mm. his philosophies was something uh, a hilly was prepared to fall down you know so I, I think if you if, if you look at that and the way that he's behaved you know he's very active on social media he's got his twitch channel he feels like relaxed and and like he's enjoying it and really embracing it and i think that that conveys trust in the players to a, a certain extent 
and the fact that he didn't bring Sergio Ramos and he didn't bring Thiago because he, he just trusts those players that he he has with him. Obviously, there there are the more experienced players in the the likes of Jordi Alba, for example. But I think he really believes in this group of players, and it feels to me in the way they play that like they feel that. I think one other thing that I just wanted to sort of say about like the 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 sort of the, the possession side of things, which I think is really interesting, when you play this sort of ag- aggressively possession-oriented football that Spain play and that Luis Enrique has committed them to, um, and it made me think about lots of managers in international football who've been successful in recent times, and certainly Roberto Mancini at the Euros was very focused on we want to play with the ball as Italy because you enjoy yourself when you've got the ball. You have fun, right? So that's fun for the players. And if the player's having fun, they're going to play better. But there's a second side to that, which is if you don't let your opponents touch the ball, they're going to get increasingly frustrated and miserable. Mm. And I think this Spain team, actually, like, part of what makes it so effective is you just take all of the energy out of your opponent. You take everything out of them by saying, no, this is just us playing and you're just going to have to sit there and watch us. And of course, there's such a thing as sterile possession. You see that, and there are clubs in European football who 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 waste that possession and don't use it. But I think there is an experience playing against this Spain team when they're as good as this, and which they did to teams of the Euros as well, of just making you feel completely hopeless. Just, you're not going to play football. We're going to play football. And when we want <laughs> to, we're going to win this game. And that, I think, is is a really stark contrast with the upsets we've seen at this tournament because Argentina were better than Saudi Arabia. Germany probably were better than Japan, but they didn't win because they didn't take the life out of their opponents. They let their opponents believe there was still a way back in, whereas Spain didn't let Costa Rica believe that for a second. Having said that, Germany set a World Cup record with 422 completed passes in that first half. So when they meet Spain with their possession football, begs the question, what happens? Germany have got to win it. <laughs> they need to win it because it's like the World Cup final for them. But for Spain, they can be very relaxed with their passing, Andy, can't they? I mean, I don't think they will be because that's not the personality of of, of them or their, their, their coach. And I think the opportunity to knock out a team that rightly or wrongly you see as a competitor, for it to present itself at this early stage... I mean, it's, it's an opportunity you've got to try and grasp, uh, I think. And obviously, Spain are feeling very good about themselves, I think. Certainly, aesthetically, they've been the best team at the tournament in this opening round so far. And as I say that despite the fact that England and France were were both excellent. And like Nicky said, it's the absolute joy of the, the way they're playing. I think Germany would love to see themselves get to that point. And obviously, Germany have taken a few beatings in... In, in in recent times, from Spain, of course, there was the, the, the there was the six nil as well. So they'll be quite keen to to bite back at that. But you know, Germany will have to be brave. But they're always brave. They're always a little too brave on on on, on some occasions. So I, I think this is very interesting indeed. I think it's really relevant as well that. Japan play Costa Rica before Spain play Germany on the on Sunday. So if Japan win, Germany will know that's it. Like you literally have to win this game or you're going out. Mm. Um, which is really gonna raise the stakes for that one, I think. Canada's got a hand on the ball. So on this goonatastic edition. World Cup edition of On the Continent. Of course, the defending champions, France, hit the ground running with four against Australia's one. And Giroud got two of them. Do you remember when you lot used to sing, na, 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 Giroud? Of course I remember that, Dustin. I have sung that song. Um, Not as beautifully as you just did, obviously. Um, When I was sort of prodding before about um, the Arsene Wenger link here. Well, of course, it's because Giroud um, matched Thierry Omri's international goal-scoring record. So it was one Arsene Wenger sort of Arsenal signing to another in terms of the passing of the baton. Um, and I just, I think regular on the continent listeners have, have, have no doubt heard me sort of wax lyrical about this before with Giroud because 
it's been a theme for Milan over the last couple of seasons. I think the thing for me with him is just his absolute unflappability with the bigger stages that that has been such a huge part of of what made him transformative for Milan in winning the title last season was being the player who scored two goals when they were losing the derby and transformed that game who scored on the last day of the season who scored in really every single big game for Milan last season when they needed him to sure he he got into double figures and that was meaningful in itself because he broke this supposed curse of the number nine shirt at Milan that no one since people in Zaghi had, had hit double figures in it but it was the games he scored in over and over again that, that stood out to me and I think it's it's sort of fascinating then to, to, to put that alongside yes nobody thinks I don't believe that Giroud is as transformative and special a player as Thierry Henry was but when it comes to just scoring goals in important games, well, he's he's done it for France again and again, hasn't he? Yeah, and I think there are two elements to this, really, Nicky. Um, I, I think, firstly, the, the, the fact that he's so incredibly selfless as well. That That is mm. something that makes his teammates love him. You know, Hugo Lloris spoke to me about it afterwards, and he was just so... He was so pleased for him. You know, he was important at the 2018 World Cup. There was a big fuss made, made about him not scoring, but you can't say he didn't play his part in that. He was really, really important. Giroud adds more balance to the team than Benzema. I think you can definitely argue that. And it always felt like that. It felt like Mbappe was in a better place. It felt like Griezmann, even though he's deeper, was in a better place. I, I thought he was absolutely terrific and, and, and maybe man of the match. But it's, it's funny that Giroud is kind of defined, at least for the moment, by his goals. When the goals are almost anecdotal to what he does in a in a leadership role in, in some ways. I think the other thing is worth noting about Giroud is in amongst that non-flashness that we, we, we talked about, you know, he's not he's not a blingy superstar by any stretch of the imagination, is the fact that Actually, if, if you talk to him, he's got, he's got enormous self-confidence, absolutely enormous self-confidence. And he's had to have because there's been in France, I think, going back a little while, there's always been a little bit of snobbery about him because he's, he's not an a, a academy starlet or anything like that. He's, he's the working man who, who worked his way up, um, you know, through, through lower divisions and um, you know winning the title at, at Montpellier, not always been a starter at uh, Arsenal and, and Chelsea, but to have that belief that directly taps in to what he can do, because you think he you know he wasn't first choice at Arsenal and Chelsea, arguably wasn't first choice at Milan when he came in, but when they need him, just like when France need him, he's ready. He's ready to receive the opportunity. And, you know, it would be easy to sulk. And, of course, when um, Deschamps replaced him with Benzema, Deschamps spoke quite openly about probably not bringing him to this World Cup because he thought, mm. well, you know, he was the starter and now he's, got to, now he's got to back up. And it's all about, you know, squad mood and squad equilibrium and all that kind of stuff. But he said the way that, not what Giroud did on the pitch in recent games, because he knows what he can do on the pitch, but what he did off the pitch convinced him. And obviously, especially with Benzema getting injured is, is proved very good decision and very auspicious. Arguably, we've all disrespected Giroud to a certain extent. I think the way that he portrays himself is part of that, like you say, with some humility. It, it struck me that the TV producer in the game against Australia just had his camera focused on Mbappe. Whereas with Giroud, the cameras should have been on Giroud because he was on the uh, on the cusp of setting a French national record, and it's almost shocking. It was almost an afterthought. Oh, by the way, he's now he called Thierry Henry's record. And you thought, hang on, how did we not know this? How did we not know? How did it creep up without us knowing it? And whilst you're answering that, Andy, tell us what does he smell like. <laughs> very very nice it has to be said um, there, there are not many footballers who smell uh, great directly after the match but um, he definitely falls into that category um, so we have to we have to thank him for that so you I, are our eyes ears and nose in Qatar <laughs> yeah all, all the senses are important when I'm this far away from you guys uh, I, I think um, but yeah I, I mean 
I, th- I think it's interesting. It, his situation in terms of the goal scoring record, it reminds me a little bit of Marek Hamzik at Napoli. It's like a longevity record, base record, really, that will, mm. as David was saying on yesterday's ramble, will ultimately be surpassed by Griezmann and by Mbappe at, at some point down the line. Now, I think, you know, the thought is to more angle towards Mbappe because, you know, he'll probably be scoring goals for France for the next 13, 14 years, unless something goes horribly wrong. But Griezmann's not that far behind him. He's still only 31. I guess the only question is, because his role is sort of evolving, will he get in the penalty box that much to to score those goals? Because he's such an incredible Swiss army knife of a, of a player. And we've talked a lot about him this season, his club situation, how he was only playing little cameo roles at the start of the season. And Didier Deschamps joked, oh, well, at least he'll be fresh for the World Cup. I mean, you know, you're talking about one of the fittest, hard-working superstar players out there, Griezmann. And it feels like they're getting all of that at the moment. I think the sort of individual dynamics of, of, of specific players and their club situations coming into this World Cup is going to end up being a really fascinating sort of subplot of this tournament. I think we'll have a clearer picture of it by the end of the tournament, of course, because this was one game and France were were absolutely dominant. But I I agree with you, Andy, that Griezmann looked really, really sharp, really, really bright, really enjoying the freedom of that role behind the attack. And perhaps, again, a sort of another sort of player who just benefits from the the sort of stability of Giroud almost, the consistency of of knowing what you're going to get from him and and what you can expect and and how to operate off him. But yeah, I know I've just been enthusiastic enthusing about Spain and their and their prospects but this France team when you look at it sort of with a step back and you think hang on this team still got despite all their injuries Giroud, Mbappe, Griezmann, Dembele I think that team's pretty scary for anyone isn't it it's not just Australia. Mm. Yeah I, th- I think I think it is um, in, in terms of their weak spots I do think the Luca Hernandez injury is a big issue and of course, you know, it, it, we, we think, and we're right to think, I suppose, it's, it's, it's quite an extraordinary twist how Luca Hernandez gets this awful knee injury that rules him out of the tournament and is replaced by his brother. And they're two very, very different left backs because yeah. Luca Hernandez is a left back slash left centre back, and um, Teo is a wing back slash wannabe centre forward. I mean, you know, he's he's the more aesthetically pleasing footballer and we got to see his forward stuff. I mean, the cross for the Rabiot goal was brilliant. But I think what what maybe we didn't see because Australia aren't that strong, maybe what we saw only a little bit of defensively is positioning is all over the shop. And maybe that ends yeah. up costing them against a better team because, you know, France are playing, we talked about their scratch midfield, they're kind of playing with a scratch defence. You know, I, I think... Konate and Upamecano are together because they know each other very well from Leipzig. Um, Pavard got a lot of stick from the French media and from Jules yesterday um, about his positioning for for that Goodwin goal as well. So yeah, there is still the feeling that you know they're there to be got at. Okay, at this time we normally ask you if you know you listen regularly to OTC you'll know that we ask our experts to give us a game of the week recommendation no need for that I think we've got enough games to watch at the moment can't get any kicked <laughs> myself as a result of this but I know Andy you're going to go and watch the battle of the Portuguese colonies and all yeah well I, I'm going to attempt going to two games today and the logistical challenges that that might involve because they're back to back I'm going to see uh, Portugal versus Ghana and then Brazil versus Serbia which is is great that I'm I'm really looking forward to but the, the player I'm most looking forward to, to to watching in this double bill is actually Vitinha if he starts I, I, I think you know you look at how he has transformed PSG this season he's made an absolutely enormous difference to them. I mean, the feeling is they might go with Ruben Neves for a little bit more more muscle in there. But Vitinha has brought such incredible balance to PSG, a team that have like looked very lopsided with um, you know the front three and the, and the rest. 
I think if they were to they were to include him, I think it would give them a level of control that would push them towards the contenders. I'm not quite ready to believe yet that they're they're going to be able to to, to, to genuinely have a pop at, at, the, at the tournament, despite the fact that I, th- I think they've got the players to do it. Um, and obviously there's the whole Ronaldo thing hanging over them. And I, I think how he shakes out tonight is going to be very interesting. And Nicky, uh, in the absence of a game of the week, is there a player of the week maybe that's caught your eye that we should keep an eye on for the rest of this tournament? Well, he hasn't caught my eye yet, but I'm just continuing on the game Andy was talking about. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how Rafael Leal is going to do this tournament. I think it's, mm. it's a fascinating dynamic just because at, at club level, he's so looked to at Milan as being the, the one sort of star of that team in an offensive sense, like the one sort of star can make some magic, can do something, can can create a spark player. And at Portugal, it's it's not like that at all. He's he's surrounded by bigger names who have a bigger reputations and who are more likely to sort of grab the attention of defenders, I suppose. Um, and I'm I'm curious to see how that is going to play out for him. I think he hasn't scored yet for Portugal, so so far he hasn't been able to 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 make his mark in that way. But I'm this is his first chance at a big tournament, and I'm 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 excited to see how that plays out. I just lost a bet with myself, Nikki, because I thought you were going to say Sergei Milinkovic-Savage, who I'm also <laughs> well, very much looking Sergei forward to seeing. Savage, yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime Milinkovic-Savage is on a football pitch, you look forward to watching that. Don't forget to pay yourself for the money that you've lost, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a welcher. I've got no chance. <laughs> Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.